Man, oh man. To say that Tom Schuyler's had an impact on me would be an understatement to say the least. His way of looking at people and songs has changed me forever. He graciously gave me over an hour of his time last week, and he made me laugh until I cried. Then he made me feel bad about my bunker haircut, and I cried again. Oh well. He's a member of the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. He's a music row legend. Uh, he's my friend. And once again, Zoom was not totally my buddy on this day, but we got it done, however jittery. So I hope you laugh as hard as I did. Here's my friend, Tom Schuyler. Tom Schuyler, my friend. How are you, man? I am <clears throat> very well, and I'm uh, better for talking to you, Bart. Thank oh, you. that's sweet. Are you now the, the, the mayor of Jekyll Island? No, I'm working on it. Uh, I Since I've gotten here, I've joined the Lions Club. I'm the president or the vice president of the uh, Jekyll Island Men's Golf Association. And I'm also on the uh, board of the uh, Jekyll Island Historic Preservation Society. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah. Jekyll's a beautiful place. You know, uh, it, it's got a lot of history here. And, uh, uh, and Sarah's mother was... My wife, my mother-in-law, who's sadly deceased, she was born mm. in this area. So uh, <clears throat> we've been coming down here since uh, Sarah and I were married like 41 years ago. So wow. this is where we decided to settle, and uh, we're loving it. That's awesome. That's awesome, <clears throat> man. <clears throat> Did you guys get a bunch of storms yesterday? You know, we didn't. Uh, it's so funny because, uh, I mean, I guess this is kind of boring, but you know, we're, we are on an island. We're about six months from the mainland. Uh, but a lot of the storms just blow by us. So like, uh, we've got hit by a couple of hurricanes in the past five years, but uh, one was real bad. But most of them just stay out on the ocean. I, our house is about, I don't know, literally a block from the Atlantic. So uh, we get to enjoy that. We're not right on the water, but there's yeah. a block on that's killer. So I always entitle my uh, thinking and drinking questionnaires with the name of the person and then a little pithy something. And mm -hmm. I, I entitled this Tom Schuyler, the other Bethlehem baby. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you, I, uh, you know, I think you know this part. Not only was I from Bethlehem, I was also, uh, before I got in the music business, I was a carpenter. So oh, it that's all, right. Uh, yeah, so it all kind of comes together. So were you born into a uh, a musical family? No, not 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 at all. Uh, now my dad was uh, bless his heart. He was a steel worker. My mom was a housewife. She sang in the church choir. Uh, but uh, you know, there was not an instrument in our house that I recall until my sweet older sister went out and bought a used upright piano and my dad had it moved in the house. So I could take piano lessons. When I was right. Like, so, uh, but no, I mean, we had, you know, the only music we had in our house was, uh, was records, you know, yeah. my dad, my dad's big band and jazz records. And, uh, and then all my siblings are quite a bit older. They, they grew up in the fifties with, you know, Elvis and uh, Little Richard and all that kind of stuff. So I heard a lot of music, but nothing anybody was doing themselves. So what got you into uh, 
playing guitar and singing and writing songs? I, yeah, I probably like everybody else from my generation, you know, at some point we, maybe we heard, uh, you know, like for me, it was kind of folky stuff like Peter, Paul and Mary. And, right. Uh, and then, uh, uh, and then, you know, I, I kind of got, when I was an adolescent, I kind of got turned on to Dylan, and, uh, shoot, I, I can't even, I yeah. can't remember. I just wanted to play the guitar. I thought it was, you know, I thought it was fun and cool. And, uh, a couple of the guys I went to school with were doing the same thing. So we just jumped into it. Did you start a band? Nah, I was never in a band, uh, until I was much older, but, uh, no, cause I was such a, you know, I was such a folky. Folkies don't really have bands. They just have, <laughs> they just have kale. And, uh, <laughs> and a conga you know. player. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, but I, I was, uh, I was totally, I was totally, and then I, I'll tell you who I, the other guy that, that really kind of got me inclined towards playing an acoustic guitar was, uh, was Paul Simon. Cause you oh, know, yeah. when I, when I was like 13 or 14, all, all of their hits started rolling out, you right. know, year after year. And I just, you know, I would rent my clothing when I would, you know, hear like, uh, Homeward Bound or, you know, yeah. Sounds of Sight. Also, at thir- 13 or 14, you were the same height as Paul, Mc- or Paul uh, Simon, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I, think I, was, I, I think I was when I was sick. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's really funny. Uh, <laughs> but, was, oh gosh, he was, uh, eh, you know, obviously still is just one of my faves. Sorry, oh, there's yeah. flies down here. This isn't a video recording, is it? No. Because I haven't. I haven't had my hair done or anything. You know, I have, so obviously, you know, it's kind of late June, uh, 2020 and, uh, Sarah and I, like the rest of the world, you know, we've been sheltering in place and staying really safe and cautious. I've, I've got a little bit of underlying, uh, health stuff I got to be careful about. So, so neither, neither of us have gotten our hair cut for like almost four months. I've had one and it still looks like this. So yeah, that's you unfortunate. You need to go back. <laughs> I need to get my six bucks back. <laughs> so did Super you go cut. to, did, yeah, exactly. Did you go to college for music? Oh, hell no. I, 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 uh, <laughs> I went, I went to college. I did go to college right out of high school, but believe it or not. And, uh, I, it, it's, you know, since nobody can see the video, uh, you could you could tell by my physique that I was a a really great athlete. So oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I actually uh, I went to I went to college on a soccer scholarship, and uh, and I uh, I played kind of big time big time college soccer. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I I was on a high school team that was undefeated from 1958 till 1969. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, I went to college at Drexel university in Philadelphia and my freshman year, our soccer team was Owen 13. So it was a bit of, bit of a shock. That's when I started drinking. <laughs> and I haven't stopped since. I haven't really stopped. So, so anyway, no, no, I, I, I just went down there to, Hey, I was going to college for free, so I, I just yeah. took like business courses, and that's when uh, 
you know, like I, I bet you 80% of the guys that I start and girls, women that I started college with in 1970, they were mostly engineers. It was a big engineering school and like all of them got into like Microsoft and Apple and all that stuff, like on the ground floor and, wow. you know, retired when they were 47. Right. And I was still working in the damn music business. <laughs> well, speaking of. <laughs> yeah, speaking of that. What brought you to Nashville? I mean, were you trying to be a writer or an artist or both or neither or a truck driver or what got you to town? Oh, uh, I, uh, I went to Nashville for one reason only, and that was to be a songwriter. I had no interest in, in singing or making records or getting into the record business. Uh, I only wanted, I was kind of driven in, uh, by the notion of being a songwriter. So I moved down there when I was 25, uh, never gave two thoughts about it, never even thought about moving to Nashville because I wasn't really a, I didn't grow up being a country music fan. Right. And uh, it's my, you know, my mom liked country music. And my dad absolutely hated it. And occasionally he would get home from the mill and my mom had the country country station on. And first thing I heard when he'd come in was, Vivian, turn that shit off. <laughs> and, uh, that was, I knew it was going to be a really nice night when I heard that. <laughs> so, I, I, but, but, you know, based on what I thought I was doing, going to Nashville and trying to, kind of wedge myself into the country uh country sound seemed like the most sensible thing to do so that's what i did and that was uh 1978 and uh you know never looked back really how did you uh were you i don't even know what i want to ask were you writing by yourself were you looking for co-writers were you finding co-writers no no when i when i when i got to nashville I had no concept of what that even meant. Okay. Uh, and so, I don't know. When I got there, I'd probably already written about 300 songs. Uh, kind of on my own, just trying to figure out what it was to write a song for beginning band. Of course, they all sucked. Uh, that, that's the, but that's not the point. I, I had engaged myself in the process. Yeah, and so you knew by, how to write you know, a song. I, well, yeah. I mean, not necessarily a hit, but... But yeah. anyway, by the time I got there, I had already had some experience and uh, I was not interested in or looking for co-writing experiences. And like I said, I, I, I didn't even know what that was. And when I did know what it was, it didn't kind of add up to me. I, I didn't right. quite get it. It was, it, was, uh, it was several years before I even tried that. And to tell you the truth, uh, with... With a few notable exceptions, uh, I, it was never my favorite way to work. Uh, but I had some. I ended up having some wonderful co-writers, uh, like like the aforementioned Don Schlitz and yeah. Paul Overstreet and uh, uh, Fred Noblock and Craig Bickhart and uh, you know, others. But you know, those were the guys I had some success with. How'd you I get smoke? your first? Oh yeah. <laughs> How'd you oh, you get your, uh, <laughs> I'm okay. You're not in my car. <laughs> How'd you get your, uh, your first publishing deal? How was that done? And I don't want to make you sound like a dinosaur, but how was that done back then? 
Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I'll tell you as, as simply and directly as possible. Well, things were definitely different then. I mean, Nashville in 1978 was actually a town where you could walk down 16th or 17th avenues or 18th and literally knock on the door or walk in the door because they weren't locked then and say, is there anybody here who would listen to my tape or, uh, and occasionally people would say, sure. And, and I don't know if it was because they thought I was a nice person or I looked, I looked like a songwriter or what it was, but you had the body of a soccer player. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so I, you know, I did that and, uh, I'm not, I'm the worst salesman in the world, but I would just go in there kind of shy and, uh, head down, you know, eyes on the floor and they'd listen to my songs. And, you know, the feedback was, uh, was very kind hearted and encouraging. So I thought, mm-hmm. well, maybe this was a good move, but I, what happened, as I said earlier, I, <laughs> I was a carpenter and, uh, I had this, uh, guy who I'd done some work for and he called me one day and he said, look, I, I've got a job that's going to go on for probably about six months and I need somebody to work with me. It's remodeling a house and building a recording studio. I said, great. I needed the money desperately. So I went to work with uh, George Sprague, who was a guy who called me and we completely uh, gutted and refurbished the inside of uh, a house on 16th Avenue. I think it was 1214 16th Avenue. (laughs) And then we built a studio in the back. We converted the garage and it, it ended up being uh, where uh, Eddie Rabbit, uh, Even Stevens, and uh, David and Jim Malloy put their publishing company. And it's right when Eddie Rabbit was, like, at the top of his game. Yeah. And, and uh, so, so get back to your uh, – I'm dragging this on. But what happened was I, I had made an appointment to go see – a music publisher over my lunch break one day. And I took my, uh, I had my little reel to reel tape with three songs on it. And, uh, my lunch with a couple of bologna sandwiches and a banana. And I had it laying on the kitchen, uh, counter or kitchen table. And I was up there, I was up on the roof on shingles and, uh, unbeknownst to me, Kenny Wehrman, who was the office manager, and ended up being married to Dean Dillon, by the way. Oh, wow. And, and working for uh, Warner Brothers as an A&R executive. She took my tape when I was up on the roof and listened to it. And she took it in to Even and Jim Malloy <laughs> played it for him. And they, Jim came and I heard, hey, hey, Tom, I, Tom. And tell any of these guys that I wanted to be a songwriter because I'd lose my gig, you know. Right. I'd lose my car job yeah. jim said listen when you come down come come down for a break i want to talk to you <laughs> and he told me that they listened to my uh, tape and they wanted to sign me and i said uh you gotta be shitting me i said no no I said we already know that we you know we get along with you well because you've been here already for three or four months so he said so just said to me how much uh how much would it take you to write for a company and i for some reason i hadn't even thought about that concept and i said uh mm, how about 300 
300 a week. And he said, how about 150? I said, that'd be great. And, uh, <laughs> so that's how, that's how I got my first gig. Yeah. It sounds you like. You want to take a shit? What? You going to take a shit? But you're going to take a shit. No, my, my speakers, because of cell phones and electricity in my little home studio here, they keep going. So I just got up to oh, shut oh, it off. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that sounds like every contract negotiation I ever had with a label oh. boss. How much, how much you want? I want 500 grand a year. How about 30 grand? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be just fine. Yeah, yeah thanks. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you what, what is uh, oh, this cigarette? That's really good. I'll tell you the. Uh, I'm going to start smoking tonight. <laughs> the irony of that whole piece of time is that talking about co-writing, I did co-write this song with uh, Stuart Harris and Keith Stegall. Oh, wow. That was the first, first song I ever wrote with anybody. And uh, it got recorded, um, my first recording, too, uh, by, a guy, by Leon Eberitt. Okay, who yeah. Was on our, RCA Records, and it was a number one song. Uh, and I was like blown away. Is like, shit, this is easy. Yeah. Um, and it was number one the day I uh, that happened with uh, me and Jim having that negotiating thing. So uh, anyway, that that was a crazy side story there. Well, so so in '83, you got signed as an artist by Capitol Records. How did uh -huh. that? How did that come about, and who signed you at that time? Who was doing a and r that time? Uh, I'm going to be embarrassed, and I'm going to have to look this up. Uh, the The capital label in Nashville at that time, and I don't want to demean it by any means, but uh, uh, there was there wasn't a there really wasn't a lot of uh, big time leadership then. You know, oh, okay. I, mean, I don't remember. I mean, I know Lynn Schultz was there. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. But he, he wasn't. Uh, anyway, the, the point is the guy who signed me was actually the head of Capitol in LA. Okay. Son of a gun. I, I, this is embarrassing. Was that have been Joe Smith? No, it wasn't Joe Smith. Before Joe? Uh, Australian guy, as I recall. Very, not, very nice fella. But, uh, He's the one, and I think uh, you know. I, you know, David Malloy was real hot because because of Eddie, and I think yeah. he had recorded a dollar, a couple of dollar sides that did well. And, uh, and I think David sort of, you know, did the pitching, and then you know, soon enough, uh, you know, so we made. David spent just a god awful amount of money making the record. Nothing ever happened. You know, I had a couple singles chart and. Uh, I, my heart wasn't in it, to tell you the truth, Bart. I just, you know, it's not what I had envisioned. Uh, yeah. I wanted, I wanted to be at home and pick up my guitar and write songs and, you know, not get into that. That's. Well, did you do the whole radio tours and play a million radio station conference room gigs? Or, or how, how was a brand new artist taken to radio at that time? Or did you just send out singles and then go write some more songs. Yeah. It, it, th there wasn't a lot of, uh, there wasn't a lot of activity yeah. uh, involved, you know, 
uh, promoting or marketing me. Uh, and I was fine with that. I did a bunch of radio, like, like phoners as we called them, okay. uh, that were set up, uh, by the label. And then Jim Malloy hired a independent guys to help with that. And like I said, a couple of things got into the top 40, but you know, I, there, there never was, I never got to the point of, uh, uh, like trying to put a band together and doing, you know, fair dates and all that kind of uh, thing. Okay. And I, I don't recall ever going to visit a radio station until I, until I worked for RCA, which, which is a story I'm going to have to tell you about our buddy Dale Turner later in our conversation. Uh, oh, we'll we'll get first, to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, so, so that, that was a very short lived scenario. And, yeah. uh, I ended up staying at, uh, well, the, the company was called Deb, Deb Dave Briar Patch uh, that, and, uh, I ended up staying there four years and, and I had, I had a very nice run as a writer and, uh, and that was, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was fun and gratifying and, and profitable. Uh, and, uh, that's when BMI used to, uh, I was a BMI writer. Um, uh, actually I, yeah, I, here, this is this is a fun story. Uh, uh, I I got when I moved to Nashville. <clears throat> I had lived in New York City the four years prior to that, and this uh, really wonderful lady at ASCAP uh, named Bernice Cohen used to I used to play in clubs up there, and uh, she came and saw me, and uh, she signed me to ASCAP, and she was just a delightful human being. And so when I told her I was moving to Nashville, she set, set me up with, uh, uh, oh shoot, Littlefield, um, I'll uh, name it. I want to say Waylon, but that's not it. No, it's, uh, well, I, again, I'll think of it in a second. Um, how can I forget? Anyway, I went to his office and I had my, you know, I had my tape and, uh, I, he put it on. And he got through like 30 seconds of my first song and stopped it and wheeled to the, you know, the white tape and started playing the next one, listened to about 30 seconds and just took the tape off. And he said, you got a long way to go, son. Uh, and then he out of four five Merlin Merlin. That's it. That's it. Uh, and he took out, he was, very, you know, he was perfectly nice, but then he took out a four five and put it on his uh, turntable. And he said, now here's what you need to be writing. And he started playing the gambler hmm. and, and I said, and that's, I don't even know if the, I think maybe the gambler had just come out. And, uh, I said, wow, yeah, that, that's a really great song and blah, blah, blah. So the meeting ended. And then about a year later, <laughs> and the, you know, the, the gambler had been a huge, huge hit. Oh man. And, uh, so I told them that story. And, uh, anyway, I don't know why. Oh, so, no, I was going to tell you that back in back in that day in the early '80s, PMI used to give out advances. Oh yeah, to to writer, and I had three songs in the top ten at the same time. Yeah, and uh, they they uh, they advanced me like I don't know fifty grand a year for four years in a row, just based on what they yeah. thought my income. Was. And I looked at one of the checks and I took it into Sarah and I said, fuck me. 
<laughs> this is really fun. Uh, you know, it's like, because I hadn't seen the money yet, you know, I just, it, this was just what was going to be coming down the pipeline. So yeah. anyway, those were the good old days for sure. Uh, <laughs> well, so yeah, the business. Yeah. I remember uh, my, my first cut like you mm-hmm. was a, was a number one. And I was talking to my dad and he said, uh, Hey, uh, you don't have to tell me anything if you don't want to, but, uh, have you made any any money on that song yet? And it was a Brooks and Dunn thing. And it was at like 34 on the chart, maybe. And I said, well, it's funny yeah. you mentioned that because I said, I just got my first BMI check and I'm, I'm looking at it right there. And uh, he goes, how much is it? And I said, $2.43. He goes, <laughs> what? I go, <laughs> he goes, man, you can go broke waiting for your own money, can't you? And I said, yeah. Absolutely. Your dad was right on the money there. Uh, yeah. You know, those, those are the kind of checks I get now. Uh, <laughs> $2.11 would be like five times what I got in the mail yesterday, I think. Uh, so, is that it is Propel. This, oh, pod, this, pod, this podcast. Put some hair, will you? <laughs> put, put some on your hair in another town. This podcast should be brought to you by Propel. Yes, well, so, it is. I believe <clears throat> in 1985, you, Don Schlitz, Fred Noblock, and maybe Paul Overstreet pretty much invented the in the round, the writer's, yeah. writer's round, which for anybody that doesn't know, it's four guys in a circle with four mics and everybody plays a song and just goes in a circle, hence the phrase in the round. So yeah, am I right on the four guys and how the heck did that come about? Uh, you're, you're absolutely correct. Uh, <clears throat> no block over street Skyler. And, uh, it's funny because, uh, every once in a while I'd hear no block say, well, you know, we invented in the round and I would say, Fred, I think the Greeks invented in the round, you know, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, well, I'll, I'll be real. I'll, I'll tell you the absolute truth about that. Uh, we had been playing, uh, Paul and, uh, Overstreet and Fred Noblock and I had been playing as a, just as a threesome to, you know, go out, just go out and have some fun and sing some harmonies and, uh, we were having a lot of fun and we would off, we would typically play at the bluebird on a Friday night. Okay. And we would, we would always ask Don, uh, Schlitz, uh, or, or vice versa. He would ask us either way, if he could like do like 20 minutes before our show. And of course we said yes. And, and then one night Don and Fred stayed at the bar a little too late. And one of them said, you know, it would be great. Why don't we just put four chairs in the middle of this room and kind of face each other and tell some stories and sing some songs. And, and, uh, that's, I mean, that's how simply it happened. And I don't know, three or four weeks later, uh, they told me what was up. And I said, this sounds like the worst F and I <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. And I showed up in a piss ass mood and I had as much fun as you could possibly have in the music business. That <sighs> night. And that's how it started. And, and we did it. I think, uh, I'd have to check, but I think it exclusively once a month for a year. And then Amy Curland created a women's version of it. Okay. Uh, 
and uh and and uh it was karen staley and trisha walker and oh, yeah. uh uh shoot well you know i think amy grant did it early on and uh um uh, shoot i can't i can't remember who all oh pam tillis ashley cleveland they so so then they started and before you know within within two years you know they were doing it almost every night yeah with with different groups and you know they're still doing it and it's still yeah. like the toughest ticket to get in nashville yeah uh, which is except for maybe the Doyle and Debbie show, which is, uh, anyway. Which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that, fun. you and Fred and Paul kind of morphed. That was the beginning of SKO, is that right? Yeah. Uh, right around that same time, Bart, uh, the three of us uh, were asked by uh, Bob Orman and his wife, Mary Buffwack to sing at a fundraiser for like a women's shelter or something okay. uh, downtown. And uh, I, you know, we just had a really good night. We, I think we only sang three or four songs, but uh, yeah, we got signed by uh, MTM records, which had, had, had just started. And, uh, and uh, so we made a record for them and, uh, uh, you know, we, we, and, and our first, our first single went into the top 10 and our second single went to number one. And then our third single, which I was the lead singer of barely broke into the top 20 and then Paul quit the group right. and we brought in, uh, our friend Craig Bickhart and we made another record and the same thing happened. And the next thing we know, the label closed. So I had a really good career as an artist, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and I could, I could, I don't, I don't give a rat's ass about it, to tell you the truth. Well, I mean, so, okay. So to change kind of gears, <clears throat> excuse sure. me, around, around that point in 92 is when I met you, you'd, you'd come on uh -huh. board as the boss of RCA where I was a regional. Right. You'd had one BMI, two millionaire play song, six millionaire songs. Why, why did you want to get into the record side of things? I fix myself a cocktail. <laughs> righty, There you are. Thinking, thinking and drinking, right? You still exactly. me? No, I was just going to say that, uh, you know, a good deal of it, if I can be real honest, it just had to do with ego. I mean, if you get a call from a guy like Joe Galani, who's running yeah. a, you know, a major worldwide record, what I was going to say is... Uh, if Joe calls you, somebody uh, like Joe. It was, it was, of course, I want to do this. Um, but then the, the other issue was that at that time, you know, folks like, Clint Black and Vince Gill and, uh, you know, Brooks and Don and Alan Jackson and all of these, all of these acts that were writing their own song. It got really tough to get a, so I thought, yeah. well, you know, maybe my run is over here and, uh, you know, <clears throat> thank God, thank God for the good times. Uh, <laughs> And I just, you know, I, 
I went home and talked to Sarah and I said, you know, this is going to be a, it's going to be a, a pretty <laughs> demanding job. And, uh, are you okay with this? And we talked about it and, you know, I said, I said, yes. So that was, uh, <clears throat> he had approached me about that, I think in June of 92 and, uh, uh beginning of September of that same year, I came in and sat down in that, in that big seat and felt <laughs> Very uncomfortable. <laughs> I thought, what the hell? I like my mommy. <laughs> so, so did you think, um, were you trying to further the same old, same old? Were you trying to change it? Were you trying to change the face of, of country music to make it more songwriter-esque and less hat act or whatever i mean i don't even know what, what was your what was your vision for rca at that time well my vision for rca was probably probably threefold one was to preserve you know the great tradition of rca in Nashville, yeah. um and and make sure that the acts that were still viable who had been around for a while like alabama and uh Lori morgan and uh, well, Dolly was gone. Waylon was gone. Yeah. But, you know, I, uh, I, you know, Restless Heart was still kind of Ronnie Millsap. Happening. Millsap was still there, but it's it's to preserve that and do the best I could to, you know, continue to, uh, uh, you know, undergird them in their, you know, artistic pursuits. You know, the the second was to to get to get to know and get along with the staff, which was significant in size. I mean, they were, they were yeah. like 50, 55 people working there when I started. Yeah. So it was like, a big group. And yeah. And then finally, and probably, probably most importantly, I, I didn't have an artistic vision. Like I wanted everybody to be a singer songwriter or I wanted all, you know, female artists or I wanted, vocal groups it was just to go out and find what i thought was the hippest stuff and yeah. get them get them together with the best uh repertoire and, uh, of great songwriting which i felt confident in being able to identify and yeah and then work them up with some great producers and musicians so you know it, it wasn't a big bold agenda or vision it was just trying to be myself and uh but I'll tell you what, Bart, it was freaking hard. It was, <laughs> it was freaking hard, uh, except for the staff. There were a few, as you know, I mean, I didn't, when somebody did something really stupid or egregious or was mean to their subordinates or anything like that, boom, I didn't have any issues getting rid of those people. Yeah. But for the most part, I really enjoyed the camaraderie we had uh, oh man and just just trying to lift people up you know and uh because i think well i don't know you know i'd heard stories about <laughs> prior administrations that weren't <laughs> you know uh exactly uh you know warm and fuzzy sensitive. yeah <laughs> but that's okay so what was the i guess you probably just explained the best and the worst parts of of being the head of a record company just didn't yeah, get, 
Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say just figuring out 50 personalities plus all the acts, plus all the managers, plus all the booking agents, plus everything. I mean, holy yeah. cow, that's your, your job could be 40 hours a day on the phone if it had to be. Yeah. And the thing about it is, Bart, and, and, and I say this very sincerely uh, from the bottom of my heart, I didn't know a damn thing about running a record label. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that, you know, Bill Carter was this person and, you know, Marty Olenek was this person and, you know, uh, this person just got dropped and he's really pissed and he wants to come see you. And I, I mean, just the, and, you know, uh, leasing your, your, your tracks out to movie company. I, oh God, it was just like, this endless array of stuff. And I was like, okay, that sounds fair. <laughs> I'll tell you a really, uh, can I tell you a real quick anecdote that, that'll, that'll kind of sum this up? So I just mentioned the name Marty Olenek. I don't, did you know Marty? Nope. Okay. So Marty was this really, really sweet guy out in Hollywood, uh, married, uh, worked for RCA and he did all of our film placement. Okay. So, so Joe Galani, my boss, the guy who hired me and used to have my job, obviously for that job called me and says, uh, listen, Marty, a fellow named Marty Olenek is going to call you tomorrow. He wants to talk to you about a movie coming up called, uh, the Beverly Hillbillies. And it, oh, yeah. I, th I think it's a pretty good, situation for us so i said oh, okay you talk about not knowing shit so marty calls me the next <laughs> day and he's an absolute sweetheart on the telephone and i met with marty subsequently probably a dozen times and i just adore the guy uh, and he, he he goes through the deal with me on the phone after we do our pleasantries he says you know it's a beverly hillbillies great country music uh soundtrack opportunity and the end of it, he says to me, and it's about a half a million dollar deal. I say, half a million. He said, yeah. I said, okay, Marty, let's go for it. And uh, he says, great. We hang up. I sit back in my chair and I thought to myself, a half a million dollars. Now, I wonder, do we get that or do we have to spend that? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> and I was like completely, I said, I think I really just fucked up. <laughs> we, have to, we have to spend this money. Where the hell is it coming from? Is that a half a million into my pocket or out yeah. of my pocket? That's, that's exactly. And I had no idea. And oh of course, my gosh. We had to spend it, you know? So, uh, and that, and it was a flop, a total flop. Yeah. What, what song was that? Or was that a, was well, that our soundtrack? That was our soundtrack, so we okay. had all of the releases, and I think I think one of them did okay, but you know, not that we didn't sell any records. <laughs> but that's the kind of stuff. It's like, oh my god, you should, half a million dollars, and I get to say yay or nay. And I told Joe the next day. I didn't tell him that I didn't know what was was up, but he said, oh, "Good, good. We need a movie." So anyway, my favorite story, and I wrote it down. Mm -hmm. And just as, as one of your regionals, obviously, we were on the road constantly. And that was our whole job. Right. 
take right. artists to radio and blah, 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 blah. Right. So <laughs> I started getting kind of scared to travel because one time I went out for a week, which was the norm. We'd leave Monday morning, Sunday night, whatever. <clears throat> Excuse me. Right. Get back Friday afternoon. And the, the office was between the airport and my house. So I'd always uh-huh. stop in the office. So one Friday I landed and got, I got back into the office about 3.30. And if you remember where my office was, from the elevators, I could get off it and go to the left and go past the restrooms in the kitchen and around through A&R, yeah. past Ted Wagner's office, into my office. Or I right. could go to the right and go past sales and, and all the guys in the executive offices and then past... Eddie Mascolo's office, Mike Searle's office, my office. Well, right. I went that way, and Mike Searle's office was dark. And oh. I get into I get into my office, and Ted goes, "Dude, come here." What? <laughs> he said, "Mike's not here anymore." I went, "Oh, oh, okay." So about two weeks later, I go out, leave on Monday, come back Friday afternoon, same thing, come in take the same trip and Eddie Mascola's office is dark. And I'm like, what the crap? Did he go home early? And the next thing I know, <laughs> Teresa Russell is going, Bart, Mr. Schuyler would like to see you in his office. And I went, oh, great. <laughs> I know what that's about. <laughs> oh, geez. So, so I walked down there and Teresa and her sweet, sweet Southern spirit just went, you're okay. You're okay. I went, okay, great. <laughs> So I go in there, and you go, uh, hey, Bart, have a seat, man. So I sit down, and you go, I just wanted you to know that, uh, you know, we had let go Eddie Mascolo today, and yeah. uh, I just wanted you to hear it from me, which I thought yeah. was a very stand-up move. And um, I kind of nodded, yeah, yeah. And uh, you said, we're going to try some different things around here and see what works. And I nodded, yeah, yeah, I get it. And you asked me, you know, how the week on the road was, who'd you see, what stations were you at, what artists did you have, and what's radio saying, <clears throat> you know, did you have any plans for the weekend? You're just being a very convivial guy. And then you looked very keenly at me right in the eye, and uh, you said, uh, do you have any questions? Is there anything you'd like to say? And I just looked at you, and I just said how much I had loved working with Jack Weston, but he wasn't the talky feely kind of guy like right. you are and how much I just <laughs> appreciated you always saying howdy and always asking our opinions and how thank you know and stuff and I just said <laughs> how thankful I was how much you talk to the peons like me and you just without cracking a smile or saying anything you just put down your bucket of scotch and you <laughs> and you looked at me with no emotion whatsoever and you just said, just think how much I'd talk to you if I actually liked you. <laughs> course, I said that. Oh, yeah. And I could just feel the oh. sweat running down the back of my shirt. <laughs> and then finally you just guffawed like crazy. And you were just howling. And you just said, ah, I'm oh, just kidding you, dude. You said, I'm so oh. glad you're here, man. Go have a great weekend. <laughs> well, I love that story. That's a good one. <laughs> I hope I made you sweat for a while. That oh, sounds dude. like I did. <laughs> oh, I think Teresa stuck her head around the corner to make sure we were still 
going. I mean, there's a million. <laughs> one of the other stories I just loved. It's funny you mentioned your cowboy hat because when we were in at convention in Connecticut for RCA Worldwide. Oh yeah. We, you had that. There was a kind of uh, let's introduce the label heads and whatever heads, sort of a Johnny Carson late night. Yeah, yeah, right. Format, right. and me and right. Ted Wagner sitting there, <laughs> and they introduce you, and we didn't we didn't know nothing. So you come out, white cowboy hat, <laughs> white suit, huge like Yosemite <laughs> Sam <laughs> mustache, white. And you do the whole interview in a foghorn leghorn accent, which just <laughs> slayed me. And I realized at that point that RC, the, the rest of the RCA world kind of looked at RCA Nashville, even though we were floating the boat at the time, right. as, as a bunch of unschooled ruffians and hillbillies. And that was the biggest middle finger you could find. And oh, it was yeah. just brilliant, man. And me and Ted just walked away going like, I don't care if the sky falls tomorrow. We got the best boss in the freaking world. And <laughs> that was awesome, oh, man. That was, that, that's funny. That, that whole day was, was uh, outrageous. I, I, and I think, you know, when, when, when that interview was over, we ended it by all of the RCA Nashville staff, including me, stood up and, uh, we played under the kudzu. <laughs> we all kind of saluted, which would go over really big right now. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm guessing that would not be a hit right now. Oh, my. But, well, you know, you. Uh, it, it, there's one other. Uh, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier. I, I don't want to cut you off by any means. I, no. I, I know. I, I just wanted to make sure there, there uh I, I, you were talking earlier about, you know, taking, taking artists to, uh, you know, stations and being on the road all the time and, you know, buying donuts and coffee and lunch and dinner and whiskey and wine and all that stuff. And, uh, the, I, I think a week after I started, maybe two weeks at the most, uh, I decided that I was going to go on a couple of these trips with, uh, you know, like guys like you and, and Ted and uh, Dale Turner. And so anyway, the first one that I booked was uh, to Baltimore, WPOC, uh, with Dale. And I can't, I think Dale, I, he may have been living like in Cincinnati or Philly yeah, at lived, the time. I, yeah, he lived in Cincinnati. Yeah, okay. So, so anyway, me, you know, Teresa made all my traveling arrangements. And uh, the first stop uh, to see uh, um, oh. Greg Cole. Who was it? Greg Cole at POC? No, no, it was. Uh, oh, God, son of a gun! Again, I'll think of his name in a second. Uh, we uh, so I meet Dale Turner in our two rental cars in the parking lot of WPOC, and uh, Dale. No, actually, I picked him up at the airport. And uh, we pull in, I park the car, and Dale seemed really anxious, or, you know, real nervous. And uh, so I, I say, well, be ready. And he said, uh, 
real, real nervously. He said, uh, Tom, uh, listen, I, I probably should have told you this before, but, uh, I'm not, I'm not allowed. In, <laughs> I'm not allowed in this building. <laughs> I said, why? He said, well, it's kind of a long story, but the, uh, the PD, uh, here just can't stand me. And I, I went around his back with a couple things and he, he's really pissed off at me. So I, oh, <laughs> I can't be in there. So here I am, you know, and nervous out of my mind. Cause you know, not knowing what to say to these people. My battery's running low. It just oh. told me. Uh, anyway, uh, I said, Dale, son of a bitch. Um, and uh, anyway, he said, man, I, I'm really sorry, boss. I, I, I really should have given you a heads up on this. I didn't have any choice, you know, so I said, all right, well, here I go. And I walked in there and had a meeting and, uh, it, it went fine, but of course I brought up this thing about Dale not being able to be in there, and right. this this guy just wouldn't give up. He said that no, that's uh, he is not. He's never coming back. So, yeah, really sweet. So you're on our team, right? <laughs> anyway, that was a tough. That was a tough day. Oh man. Well, I'm going to do the, as many questions as I can with my lightning round with you, if you don't mind, before your battery dies. Okay, sure. Uh, what's your favorite book? Genesis. Nice. What's the last gift you gave someone? Uh, uh, I, I just bought my wife. What did I buy her? I bought her a number of things. Oh, I just, bought her three, I, I just bought her three swimsuits nice yeah well we you know we live block from the beach yeah what was the first concert you ever saw and how old were you i saw peter paul and mary at lehigh university in bethlehem pennsylvania and i was probably 12 nice yeah what's what's uh the favorite song you've ever written whether it was a hit or not uh yeah well it wasn't a hit, that's for sure. Um, probably, I'll Get My Angels, which is a gospel mm. tune. Is that on one of your uh, gospel records? The yeah, it's one I put out about a year ago or so. Okay. Uh, what song do you wish you would have written? Oh, shit. So many. I know. Uh, the Ballad of Billy Joe. Sweet. Are you listening to anything these days? Yeah, stuff I bought in the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> How's your golf game? So-so. Yeah? Never was, but I love to play. I got some great buddies down here, and uh, we're all – I'm like the youngest guy in my group, and I'm 68. So and you play, you play golf every, with, every and Tuesday play and like, Thursday? Tuesdays and Thursdays. Man. Is that a morning or an afternoon thing? Morning. Afternoons are absurd down here in the summertime. Yeah. It's like 100 degrees and 99% humidity. So what's next for you? You know, I don't know, Bart. That's a great question. I I think a lot of, you know, uh, 
you've heard the, you know, at this point in life, you think more about <laughs> what you got left than what you had behind you. So yeah. had a wonderful life. Uh, I'm enjoying my life right now. I don't see a lot changing. Um, you know, I don't, I don't write much anymore, but, uh, I, I, I'd like to, I'd like to do that for sure. Yeah. But, uh, I, I just don't have the piss and vinegar like I had when I was, you know, 25, 30 years old. But, uh, yeah. and, 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 you know, honestly, I, and, and I, I say this again, very, very humbly and sincerely. I, I, I really thought that some of the best writing I did, uh, in my entire life was like the last 10 or 12 years I was in Nashville and mm. nothing, nothing came of it, nothing at all. So that was, uh, bit of a heartache and a frustration and i finally thought you know what buddy you know let's uh don't count the rainy days let's just move forward hmm. it's all right well you work so much with your church and writing musicals for your church and doing all that kind of stuff i mean because i certainly feel like i've completely aged out of country radio and i still enjoy listening to some of it and i i totally get where it's coming from but i'm right. like you i'm i'm 55 you know and most of the guys that are having hits now are 23 well i just don't have that much in common with them and right. so yeah i i feel i feel the, the exact same thing yeah. like as my writing yeah. gets better i get more ignored and more irrelevant <laughs> yeah yeah well no no i i that's that's right on the money. And, and you know, it's okay. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I, absolutely. You know, I'm sure there were guys, you know, around Nashville when, you know, my generation of people showed up doing something maybe a little different and thinking, Oh man, that's just, I don't do that, you know? And, uh, yeah. it's just, you know, it's just what happens. Absolutely. And absolutely. I'm okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, Tom, get a hold of yourself. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, dude, I, I love you so much. I'm so thankful you're a, a part of my life, and uh, I hate that I haven't seen you in so long. It's so great to see you this happy, and uh, thank you for your time. Please give Sarah a hug, and um, let's go play well, golf sometime, man. You're a good man, Bart, and you know what? If I Imagine how much I would have talked to you if I liked you. <laughs> I love you too, Bart. You're a good man. You're always you always being have a precious precious spot in my heart. So thank uh, you for inviting me onto your beautiful podcast. Absolutely, man. Love you, bud. I'll talk to you soon. You bet. Thanks, Bart. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye.